Good morning. I want to thank you again for allowing me to speak today. I'm sorry I haven't been here for the past couple of weeks. I've been speaking at other churches regarding Five Loaves and Livingstone Monastery. It really is a blessing to stand here and be able to speak to you about myself and what I believe the Lord would have us, me preach. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your work to declare. We are grateful that when we cannot hear you, we can turn to your word to hear you and to learn from you. We stand strong and secure on the word of God from which our knowledge of you flows. Our need and understanding of salvation is found there in its entirety. Thank you. Amen. In the Jerusalem Declaration of 2008, GAFCON, I assume you know what GAFCON, Okay, I already see the blank looks. Um, the GAFCON movement is a global family of authentic Anglicans standing together to retain and restore the Bible to the heart of the Anglican communion. Their mission, our mission, because we are members of GAFCON through the ACNA, our province, is to guard the unchanging, transforming gospel of Jesus Christ and to proclaim him to the world. We are founded on the Bible, bound together by the Jerusalem Statement and Declaration of 2008. We're led by a primate's council who represents the majority of the world's Anglicans. Now, if you've paid attention to the blogosphere, maybe Brian told you in my absence, because Brian was present, our Archbishop, Foley Beach, is now the chairman, or will be the future chairman of GAFCON. So it's a big thing for us. GAFCON works hard to guard and proclaim the unchanging, transforming gospel through biblical faithful preaching and teaching, which frees the churches to make disciples by clear and certain witnesses to Jesus Christ and all the world. And in the Jerusalem Declaration, it states, we believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God written and to contain all things necessary for salvation. The Bible is to be translated, read, preached, taught, and obeyed in its plain and canonical sense, respectful of the church's historic and consensual reading. This is the big difference between us and the current Episcopal Church. This is what sets us apart. And it's based on these teachings that we guard and proclaim the unchanging, transformed gospel. And it's by this statement that I come before you today. In our gospel reading of Mark, chapter 6, 7 through 13, if you have your Bibles, you might want to look, we read about the 12 apostles and them being sent out with authority over unclean spirits. They proclaimed repentance and cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So my question really to you today is do you or do you not believe what we say? When we say we believe in today's gospel, it's unchangeable when we read about the apostles being sent out 
two by two to dispel demons. Many people don't believe in demons. Or if they do, they don't really know what to believe about demons. It's something that's very rarely taught about. And to be honest, I don't even know if it's really discussed that much about the general church membership. This is what we're going to discuss today. I can tell you it's most certainly discussed among the clergy, especially during formation. It's something that is becoming a more popular discussion as we discuss the spiritual gifts. So the question I have for you is, do you believe the Bible or not? The one other possible answer was that what was written back in the Bible doesn't pertain to us now, but that takes us down that Episcopal slope, and that's not where we stand as a church. I happen to believe, and I, I'm of a school of thought, and on our radio show we teach this often, that we need to be clear, concise, and consistent in our teachings. Whatever we do in life needs to be clear, concise, and consistent. I know that one of the biggest problems that I have working with young adults is, why can't I drink when I'm 19? Because at 18, I can get married, buy a house, and sign up and join the military and give my life for the country, but I'm not responsible enough and to determine when I can drink. That inconsistency really bothers a lot of people. But if we're gonna turn to the Bible and we're gonna look at why we need salvation, we're gonna look at Jesus and his life and the crucifixion and the resurrection and everything else in the Bible applies to us today, then why wouldn't the fact of the existence of demons apply to us today? If so, we need to have this conversation. Are they real? Yes, they are real. How do I know they're real? Well, because they're talked about in the Bible for one reason. My second reason is because I've had experience with them, not only in my own ministry as an ordained clergy person, but also before that. I believe that there are demons present in this world and that they do to us what we're told about in the Bible. This is why I disbelieve the statement or the way it's applied when everyone says, well, God's in control. We have our own free will. We can turn our back on God and walk away from his goodness into the path of the demonic. God knows that we'll do that and he wants us to come back, but we have our choice. God knows everything. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He knows what's going to happen, but we have our free will. The Bible approved, provides abundant evidence on the existence of demons. Satan's evil angels are known in scripture as demons. We have from certain scriptures that Satan fell from heaven and other angelic being, beings, demons, shared in Satan's fall and became evil. The word for demons in the Greek language is daimon, D-A-I-M-O-N, and is found more than 75 times in the Greek New Testament. In each case, the word is translated as devil in the King James Version. 
in Jesus Christ's teachings and ministry. He often confronted demons and their activities, demonic possessions of individuals in Matthew, Mark. Christ demonstrated his power over demons, and furthermore, he gave the disciples power to cast out demons in today's reading and also told in Matthew. So does anyone here doubt the existence of demons? I know this isn't an easy conversation, folks, and y'all think I've stepped off the deep edge here. But we're told in the Bible to be watchful. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. On a side note, did you see where Peter tells us that we have, after we have suffered a little while? After we suffer, meaning suffering is a natural part of our relationship with God. Because after we suffer, God now has a chance to restore us. He now has a chance to confirm you. He has a chance to strengthen you and establish you, and he will if you let him. So while we may suffer, in the long run, the demons can't do anything to hurt me. I am filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit prevents that. At least I hope I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way you know is if you're filled with the Holy Spirit is you're walking in the Spirit. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, you need to confess it, folks. You need to confess of that sin. Not only confess it, you need to repent of it. Ask forgiveness from God. And then God will come back into your life. And you should take care of that as soon as you realize that you have sinned. Don't wait. Because in that waiting, you are opening a door to the enemy to attack. But if you're living in a habitual state of sin, and we all know people who do, people, I'll give you an example, people who are living together, shacking up, ex living that marital life, but they're not married. For us, marriage is a sacrament. One man, one woman, nothing happens until you're married. And if they're shacking up, they're living in a habitual state of sin. People who are addicted to porn, Maybe it's an ongoing issue with anger. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's lying, stealing. If you're living in habitual sin, you need to confess it. Right now, I'm talking about the big sins. But you know what? God is not a distinguisher between big sins and little sins. Any sin separates us from God. So if you have a secret sin in your life, you need to confess it. And you need to ask for strength to get beyond it. The moment you sin again, we repent again. And then we turn back to him. 
as long as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the demons can't do anything to us. Now, they can try to mess with you. They will try to influence you. They will try to bug you. Road rage is my big failing here right now lately. They may even go so far as to oppress you. And notice the word is oppressed, not possessed, oppressed. We cannot be possessed because we have the Holy Spirit within us. But we can be oppressed, which means to cause someone to feel distressed, anxious, or uncomfortable. Demons will oppress believers. That means that everything they do comes from without us, not from within us. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with God, you have nothing to fear from within. In 1 John 2.13, John assures us that we have overcome the evil one. And in 4.4, he says, the indwelling Holy Spirit is greater than Satan. But I do believe that people who are not saved who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, who are not walking in the Holy Spirit, I believe, rather I know without a doubt, that I have seen and worked with people who have been possessed. In my ministry, and it's hard not to acknowledge the presence and the power of the enemy and what they do in people's lives. Because of my ministry to the homeless, many people in that believe that most of what's happening in that homeless population comes from the demonic and the fact that people are not walking with God. I know that when I was going through my discernment phase, the bishop came down the day before he was going to ordain me into the diaconate, and he says to me, do you believe in the demonic and are you able to exercise someone? I was kind of like, I didn't think we talked about that. And I looked at him, I said, yeah, I believe in it. And no, I don't think I'm fully prepared. And he looked at me and he said, that's a good answer because now I know you know the strength of the enemy. And I said, but I need you to understand, I don't know that I would conduct an exorcism on somebody without knowing what life they were going to turn to. We read in Matthew... When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from where I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. This is why I told my bishop that I'm afraid to perform something on somebody that I don't know where they're walking. Many homeless that I talk to want nothing to do with God. And they'll tell you that. So if I don't believe that there's any hope of them turning to God once they are freed from that demon, I'm hesitant to do anything because I think I might make it worse. But if there is a glimmer of hope, even an inkling of hope, 
I will do everything I can to free that person from that demonic presence. I explained to my bishop, and he kind of hedged and hawed because he felt like I was taking it out of the control of the individual. By not giving them a chance, maybe the fact that they were saying they wouldn't turn to God was the demonic speaking. But he respected, and we know that if I come across something, I'm on the phone. I have had conflicts with the demonic in the past. About a year ago, one of my very, very good friends called me up. He's 80 years old, and his grandson, his namesake, had tried to commit suicide. He took a hose, ran it from his mom's car, in through the window and was sitting in the garage. Halfway through, he thought, man, this is a really stupid idea. Got out, went inside, and told his mom. And my friend was really distraught because this kid was your good kid, a B student, active in sports, had a girlfriend, had a job, church-going family. He wasn't depressed. There were no signs of this. And I said to Sam, I, I was like, talk to me because I know this isn't him. Is something else going on? And he said, well, my daughter did admit after this happened that he'd been coming into their bedroom at night, 16-year-old, going into their bedroom at night, wanting to climb into bed with them because he kept hearing voices in his bedroom. They didn't know how to deal with it. And they go to a Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled church. But that church teaches about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't teach them how to fight in the demonic. I got to tell you, folks, I didn't want to teach this. <laughs> but I think it's something we need to know. Because when I heard that, I looked at Sam and I said, Sam, you know, if this was anybody else, I'd be really hesitant to tell you. But in my spirit, Sam, this isn't mental. This is a demonic attack. This is purely demonic. Sam looked at me, and we'd been together on the same vestry for years. He looked at me and said, are you sure? I said, there's no doubt. I said, where does he work? What is he doing now? He says, oh, he got this new job working at Viking Burger. And I went, aha. So we have this new restaurant in Newport News called the Viking Burger, and they're awesome. They've got a Viking Burger, and it's a, this burger with meat sauce on it. They've got Valhalla fries. They've got Odin this and, and all this other stuff, and it's the big thing in Newport News. And my roommate, who was a foodie, said, we got to go down and check this out because everybody's raving about it. So we went down. As soon as I walked inside that building, I started to feel sick. I was oppressed. I didn't realize I was oppressed, though. I thought I had an upset stomach. I thought it was something I ate. And we sat down and we looked at the menu, and everything on the menu was named after some god or goddess in the Viking tradition. Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, it's a Viking-themed restaurant. What, what harm is that? But then I started looking around. 
They had statues. They had altars. Now, folks, a lot of you may not know this, but I was a Wiccan high priest for 15 years. I led a coven. So I know what witchcraft is, and I know what it looks like. And back then, I thought I was doing everything good. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, but let me tell you something. The power came from somewhere, and it didn't come from God. It did not come through Jesus Christ. Therefore, I know it's witchcraft, and it came from the other side. So if you know anyone who says they're Wiccan and it's all good, hook me up. We'll have a nice conversation. So I'm looking around, and now I realize what is happening here. I'm being attacked. I was a monk at this point. I was a consecrated Franciscan on enemy territory. The server comes out with the food. My roommate looks at me and says, you look like you're about to get... I said, yeah, I feel like I'm going to puke up. And I looked at the guy and I said, I got a quick question for you. Do you guys worship... Are you Odinists? Do you worship Odin here? And he looked at me and said, oh, are you part of the hammer? He wears Thor's hammer. I said, no, I'm part of Jesus Christ. Oh. So do you worship Odin here? He says, no, 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 we don't like Odin. We like Loki. Loki's the god of mischief. Loki's the god that changes gender. And I said, you worship here, don't you? And he said, oh yeah, morning and night, every day. I gotta go. As soon as we walked out, I walked off the property, I was immediately better. And as I looked around the property, I saw the totems and the markings that they had put out sanctifying this land to Loki. It's still there, folks. You can go by any time, but I'm telling you, don't. It's not worth risking yourself. But as soon as Sam told me that his namesake was working there, it all made complete sense to me. I told Sam what I just told you, that it was demonic and he needed to call his daughter right away because they were thinking about having their son institutionalized. Sam called her on the phone, told her what I thought was going on, things started clicking into place. She realized that her son's behavior, that strangeness, that hearing voices, started within a week of him working there. So they asked him on speakerphone, hey, when you work, are they doing any type of like church service or something? He said, yeah, they do something before we open and before we close, but I really don't take part in it. Well, you're there. You're here. On many Sundays, many of you don't take part in the service, but you're still here. You're being blessed by it, or in his instance, being attacked by it. So when he walked away from that property, he was bringing some of that baggage with him. So his mom said, what do we do? Our church doesn't teach us what to do. I don't know what to do. I didn't even know this was real. Now, I know some of you are doubting this story. And believe it or not, for you, the battle's already won. 
The enemy won because the biggest thing he can get you to do is to believe he doesn't exist. To believe that the power really isn't there. If you disbelieve it, he's already won. But I'm telling you now, in the word of God, it does exist. I'm telling you in my person, it exists. We must stand on the word of God. So what did I tell his parents to do? Well, the same thing that Jesus told his disciples. Remember, we're in Mark, right? Six, seven. What was the first thing he did? He gave them authority. Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits. The authority of his power and his name. In Matthew, we are given authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, that's the authority, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18, 20. First, we've been given authority from Jesus Christ. In addition, some of you already have authority besides that. Parents, you have authority over your kids. Grandparents, you not only have authority over your kids, you have authority over your grandkids. Bishops, priests, deacons, we're given authority at ordination. We're given authority to act on behalf of our congregations and ministries. Remember when we talked about priests being called father? We're your spiritual father. We have spiritual authority over you. I will be held accountable to him for what I do here today. Because you are my children. You are my family and so is everybody else at Five Loaves Food Pantry. I've been given authority to act on their behalf. So first, in order to overcome the demonic, you must exercise your authority. Parents, something happens at school with one of your kids. Do you just sit back and let it go? I know some of you. That purse, you're out that door. You're going to that school wanting to know what's going on with your kid. That's acting your authority. And as Jesus gave his authority to the disciples, by apostolic succession to the clergy, if you're also seeking spiritual direction, that person that you've gone to has spiritual authority over your life. How about your accountability partners? They have authority. Home groups, your home group leader has spiritual authority. You have asked for that. So first, establish the authority in which you are acting. Father, I come before you. I pray for this, my son. I have the authority to act in my son's life because I am his father. He is my blood, and I've been given authority by Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have the authority over my son, and I command anything that is not of God to leave him alone exercise your authority. 
Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert? Do you remember that each time he was attacked by the demon, hello, it's real. How did he respond? He quoted scripture. So did the enemy. But remember, the enemy twisted it and turned it. We're an authoritative church. We stand on the authority of the word of God as the way it is written. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, used scripture because, all right, everybody grab your Bible, Ephesians 6. In my notes, I had, I want you to go home and read this. But I learned a very, very valuable lesson. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So as you're reading with your eyes, I will read aloud. Ephesians 6, starting in chapter, or 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. We're told about it right there. Do you believe the word of God or not? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. We're not supposed to do anything but stand. Stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We do it by faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It is here that we read that the only offensive weapon we have in this battle is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in Hebrews, we read, for the word of God is living, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit. Think about how close those two are intertwined, and yet the word of God can separate them. Of joints and marrow, and the discerning of thoughts and intentions of the heart. So while you're exercising your authority, you use the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Here's some examples. John 10, 28, 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of God's hand. My father, said Jesus, who has given them to me is greater than all you evil whatever. 
and no one can snatch me out of his hand. The word of God, you fight back. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in this creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Claim that for your son. Claim that for your daughter. Nothing can separate them from the love of God. You fight back. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. He goes on to tell you that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hey, I don't know what you got on me, but he's the one to die, are you? In fact, he did die for me. You ain't got nothing to do with me. Claim the word of God. You have authority. You proclaim the word of God. And you kick those things out of your house just as if it was a 21-year-old man trying to date your 15-year-old daughter. I don't think anybody in here would have a problem doing that. Notice... Earlier, we talked about the house empty, swept, and put in order. That's blessing the person you're with. Do you all know that you can bless people? You don't need me to do it. You don't need clergy. You can do it yourself, especially since you already have authority over those people. Parents, I hope you're blessing your kids as they're laying in the crib at night. Laying your hands upon them. Asking that God will watch over them as they sleep. That'll help you sleep because you know God's sharing du double duty with you. Just use a simple blessing. In fact, let's turn back to the Bible again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, me, you, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Bless them with this one. Before God formed you in my womb, he knew you. He knew you before I did, moms. And before he was born, God consecrated him already. Speak these blessings over your kids. I don't care how old they are, and I don't care how old they are. This is not only your privilege, it's your right. It's your responsibility. You have authority over those. How about this one? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So after you've confessed, after you repent, 1 John 1, 9 tells you that it's been done. You're now walking with the Spirit. Do you guys remember the end of the prodigal son? It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. God rejoices when we return to him. 
So we move with authority. Then there is the confession. Now I know that Matthew or Mark doesn't say confess, but he does say repent. You can't repent if you don't confess. Anybody got any questions about that one? It's understood. You move with authority, there's repentance, and then there is the anointing and blessing. All right, you wanna get technical? You wanna anoint, anoint. Find some oil in your house, set it aside or bring it into the church. We can bless it for you. I don't know if you guys know, but Corgi have a special oil that's already been blessed by the bishop specifically for this purpose. It's called the oil of the catechumens. You know, when you bring your baby up and they're marked with the sign of the cross, that's that oil. Why? It's dispelling anything that is not of God. When you're confirmed, that same oil is used. Why? Because you are announcing, you're proclaiming that you're above God, which means you're going to draw the attention of the enemy. So we anoint you with that oil. It's also the same oil that we use for exorcism with the bishop's permission. So I ask you, now that we've talked a little bit, do you believe? I hope by now you do, if you didn't. And now you've been taught how to act. You've been taught how to fight back in your life. You are able to deal with those who are oppressed. And folks, I got one thing to say. You can't be wrong. You're not gonna hurt somebody by praying over them. You're not gonna hurt somebody by blessing them and proclaiming God's promises. So don't be afraid that you might be wrong and they're really not oppressed, it's mental. Or something else, a substance, it doesn't matter, you couldn't hurt them. But here's the chance, you may make them completely better. I want you to know, folks, this is real. We've had this talk. You're gonna go outside these sanctified doors and you're gonna be attacked. Did you hear what Brother Tim talked about today? Yeah, he was off the deep end. Can you believe he really believes that stuff? Yeah, I don't know why we go there. And if you're attacked, you already know how to fight back. One last thing. Don't be willy-nilly about it. If you're going to do this, act with authority. Prepare yourself. Get the scriptures. Practice with your sword. Read it daily. Use the sword. I have to use it for road rage. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I lost my voice because I screamed so loud at somebody. I had no idea why the next morning I woke up, I had no voice. And I prayed, and then I heard I used the thing that God gave me for his good, for his wrong. So I confessed it. Every single group that I had to speak to, I confessed what I did wrong. We have to be humble. We have to admit our failings. We all mess up. So if you're going to act with authority, prepare. If you want these scriptures, you can hit me up on Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, hit me up on email. 
and I'll send them to you. One last thing. Before you deal with somebody else's junk, let's check our own eyes first. Because that's how you're going to become attacked. Who are you to kick me out of him? I'm messing with you too. You need to confess. You need to repent. And you need to be right with God before you help anyone else. Remove the log from your eye before you deal with their splinter. But remember, we're in a battle. We fight, but we know how the war ends. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in this sanctified place, you have protected us during this message and allowed the people to concentrate and hear your words.